You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 280, Becky and Koviak and Faithfulness Through Grief. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. And I am so glad that you are here. I I just every every day get a chance to share a conversation with you um, about what God is doing in somebody's life. And I don't know about you, but that seems to me to be a really uh, powerful and important uh, thing to be listening to. So I'm glad that you're here. I'm, I know this is going to encourage you. When it does, and you have that just moment, and you have a second, would you do one of two things for me? Either go out and just leave a review of the show on Apple. I love those; those make me so happy when I hear how people are are enjoying the show. Uh, or just take take it and send a send a text to a friend and say, "Hey, you should be listening to Halfway There." That would mean the world to me as well. It's the highest compliment that you can give. Okay, so friends, uh, today our guest, she is a writer. She's the leader of the 540 Club for Writers, which uh, she had me in a few months ago. Maybe Now maybe it was fun. It was great to, to meet all of them. Oh, and she's my new best friend, Becky and Koviak. <laughs> hey. How are you, Becky? Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Welcome to Halfway There. I'm glad you're here. We're, we're, we're laughing because Becky put that in my uh in, in her intro to the my form that I have everybody fill out so I know what to say about them and I was like okay we'll go with it that's good so <laughs> Becky that's a lot uh, a lot of broad strokes that I paint with there tell me more about kind of who you are and where God has you right now if you can breathe you're oh. laughing <laughs> so uh as you have come to learn, I'm a serial extrovert and anybody who makes eye contact with me, we're friends for life. So um, sorry about your luck, maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's the whole last two years have sort of been a crazy blur uh, because I really wanted to reach writers who had no other resources and 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 the 540 community has just taken off. It's been incredible. Um, so I have just experienced a lot of joy that I did not expect um, oh. in, in this in this experience. Which is cool, right? Because that, that's something really interesting. And I want to hear, we'll get into it. I'm sure that this comes up. But um, the way that that actually kind of happened and, and, and kind of how that serves you, right? Because I know... For me, I also run a, a, a group of podcasters, right? And my greatest joy is to see them succeed, right? Like it's just, mm -hmm. that's that's the best thing. So uh, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. And and I think, I mean, I know when you ask, you know, who are you? I don't usually like to start with what I do, but that is one thing that has become a little bit of who I am because it's just, I love to see other writers do well and and honestly I am, I know this is going to sound like a big fat lie, but I'm more interested in seeing my friends publish their books than in publishing my own. Like when somebody says, I just got my first piece published and, you know, it's because this speaker you, you brought in, um, you know, gave me this piece of advice and I followed it. And now I have a piece published somewhere that just makes my day more than I can even tell you. Um, so I, I know it just sounds like I'm. No. Making it up, but but uh, no, <laughs> I think it's totally true. I I totally believe that. So tell me, tell me a little more about kind of you and where God has you right now. So, um, I guess in a nutshell, I am an adoptive uh, homeschooling mom, and I also work part time for Redemption Press. Um, that's kind of new. I started volunteering for writing conferences, helping run uh, the virtual side of the interactions for conferences when COVID happened and sort of volunteered my way in. And, um, and then that ended in an invitation to come join their team. So, yeah. um, so that, that's been fun. Well, Becky, I want to hear more about kind of your story, go back and hear about how you, how you got here. So uh, I don't even know, like, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Virginia and then um, 
graduated when I was 17 and went to Florida Bible College uh, in Kissimmee, Florida. And I was there for two years. And then um, the school ended up closing. So I moved up to Maryland, which was a big shock weather-wise, and uh, attended Washington Bible College and Capital Bible Seminary and um, graduated from there with a master's in English Bible, um, which basically means I took some Greek, but not enough to be a Greek teacher. So yeah. that's why it's called English Bible. You took enough to be dangerous. I did. And <laughs> it's it's fun because sometimes I, I know things. And uh, we actually went to a uh, nativity scene at a farm near our house, and they had written things in Greek. And so as we're walking, I'm like, oh, that's the pharmacy. And one of the ladies who was working there whipped around like, what? How did you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Love it. It was, it was pretty funny. That's good. I used to say when I was first taking Greek, like after about a year, year and a half, I go, well, now I know enough to start a cult, right? Like, I'm right, gonna... exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now I know enough to misinterpret the Bible. <laughs> so great. <laughs> there is that little dangerous period, but we all have to go through it if we're going to actually get to mastery. So right. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, interesting. So I didn't, I didn't know that you, you'd done all that. So growing up in Virginia, was that like, what was it? You went to Bible college. I'm guessing it was a Christian family, but what was that like? Yeah. Um, so actually, we were one of the first homeschooling families in our area, mm. and everybody was not happy about it. Um, the public school system wasn't happy. We had to play in the backyard behind the house if it was during school hours because they informed our parents like, hey, if if the truant officer comes by and your kids are in the front yard, we're going to pick them up. Um, so there was zero support. Um the Christian school nearby didn't like it because, you know, of course they wanted us to go there and they, I don't know, it was just, it was so different from what we have now. And I'm so thankful for the co-ops and the support and the organizations that have grown um, out of the movement to homeschool because I'm not, I'm not necessarily a pro homeschooler. Everyone should do it. It's if it, if it fits for you and it's the right thing, absolutely do it. Um, yeah. If you are committed, your child can get an insane education and, and be so far ahead. Um, if you're not that committed, your, your child will end up being very far behind. So I always say when people ask me about homeschooling, um, my advice is you need to figure out whether you're committed enough. Um, you don't have to have a crazy education. There are tons of resources, but you need to have commitment and you need to have some form of ability to organize the time because that's mm. the biggest thing is making sure everybody stays on track. Can yeah. Be a little tough. All right. I'm out. That's it. But that's <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so, well, interesting. So growing up in a, which part of Virginia were you in? Um, we're South central. So um, okay. near Petersburg, if you're familiar at okay. all with, um, with Virginia. So it was full of history. Um, we went to museums and, 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 places here where you could find old civil war bullets and stuff like that oh, I mean, wow. it was, yeah it's um it's very rich in history um a lot of it is unfortunate history but um right you know but uh but it was really neat um one of my favorite places to go was the siege museum and that was um a lot of people may not be aware and actually i'm probably going to mix up all the details now because it's been so long but um there was a siege in petersburg and so that was um that museum held a lot of artifacts from that time frame. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was curious. It was like DC or like kind of more, so more middle, more middle kind of. We're, um, we're about an hour North of the state line for North Carolina. So okay. not Northern Virginia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so does that have its own kind of, kind of, uh, it's very different from Northern Virginia. World, right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Northern Virginia is sort of like mini Washington, um, especially these days and, um, and packed and busy and very metropolitan and down here, it's still very, I don't want to call it country, but it's, um, very laid back. Yeah. And, is know, it Appalachian? No, that's, that's out West. That'll be further so, West. Okay. Yeah. So the reason I'm asking all those questions is because one of the things I love to, to do is I've gotten this impression through the five years that I've been doing this podcast of what spiritual life is like in different parts of the country, right? So there are 
you know, like there's a, there's a vibe to uh, Seattle Christians, right? There's, there's a, there's a vibe to people in the Bible belt. There's Midwestern. Like I, and I didn't know this before, but cause I grew up in Iowa. Right. So it's just kind of, we, we had the way we were, went to school in Chicago. There's a, there is a, there are distinctives about each one. And so I'm really interested in kind of what that was like. So just knowing kind of where you were gives me a better idea. So where, where I grew up, we moved here knowing no one and um, moved for my dad's job and the people across the street invited us to church. And so we ended up in this very small, very uh, fundamentalist type Baptist church. And we were there for, I think I was 12 when we started attending Awana at another church. And, you know, it was difficult looking back. I could see where, you know, all of my mom's friends were at this church. And so um, as we got older, it increasingly became evident that it didn't meet our needs as kids. And so she made the difficult decision to move. And, uh, and I've always appreciated that. Um, actually, I don't know if I've told her, I probably should. Um, but we moved to a different church and they were still fairly rigid, I guess you would say. I mean, especially as opposed to the West Coast uh, churches and things like that. Uh, but it was what we were used to and it was it was less rigid than where we had been. Um, so we really, you know, well, I really enjoyed it and uh, and had a lot of opportunities to grow. Um, people really cared about our individual growth and our, you know, our walk with Jesus. And um, I feel like at any point I could go to 10 adults in that church and say, I need help with such and such. And they would bend over backwards to do that. Um, and, and our pastor was, was really uh, a big part of that. He actually married us um, when I, I left to go to school and then moved back to the area. And Patrick and I had actually met when I was 13 and he was 16. And um, so we quote unquote dated in high school. Um, oh, I went wow. to public school for two years. I talked to my parents into letting me go. And uh, as I met Patrick and, you know, I mean, we were so young and the most we ever did was hold hands, but you know, he was my boyfriend and, uh, and my mom like refused to call him my boyfriend, which drove me nuts. And so he would, she would introduce him as my friend that was a boy. And, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, years, right. Right. So, well then years later, you know, when my daughter turned 13, I was like, I get it now. Like if some 16 year old came walking up to our door, I'd be like, dude, you need to leave. So, <laughs> but, uh, but God knew what he was doing. And, um, Patrick right. was absolutely exactly what I needed. And, uh, and so after seven years away for school, um, college and, and grad school, um, we reconnected and ended up married and living in the same town where I grew up, which is sort of funny. Um, because as a kid, I was like, I want out, you know, because yeah. especially, in you know our neighborhood was okay we had we had a number of kids we could play with but it wasn't like a city where you had a lot of options and back then it was very rural and so it was kind of in the middle mm. of nowhere you had to go 30 40 minutes um to get to anything and so i was like i loved man we would go visit my aunt in Kissimmee. she taught at florida bible college and uh, and that's how i ended up spending so much time there and i just loved the area loved the bustle. I loved, you know, everything about it. And, um, and so I was, I was ready to get out. And then it was sort of funny moving back here. And for so many years, I was like, man, I want to live in the city. And now I'm like, man, this is the happiest place on earth. I am so like, I'm so content here. I love it. And it, I know it's just funny how God, God knows exactly what you need. Yeah, it's interesting too. Is you're, when you're a kid and you go, okay, I want something different, and then you grow up a little bit and you learn, like, oh, actually, right, there's something really <laughs> yeah. good about being away from some things or whatever. Yeah, that's that's really good. What was your like? So through all of that, so it sounds like you had maybe a really great community, supportive right. community in your church, um, and and although maybe a touch fundamentalist, if I we we could, yeah, okay, yeah, I would say so. But, you know, it's interesting because our, our pastor, and I really believe that, that he was kind of the glue, like it's, it's a little dangerous sometimes when you have that one leader who really is 
but he truly was just he had a heart of gold i mean he didn't do everything right and he would even acknowledge that um but he was just amazing and so that kept the church from getting a little too too far i mean there were a lot of churches in our area that were like you can't wear (laughs) pants and um you know i mean as a woman (laughs) uh, you should wear pants if you were a guy (laughs) (laughs) oh (laughs) please wear clothes um that's a different breed yeah that was a completely different (laughs) church um so uh so anyway yeah um but he kept those kinds of things from happening even though it probably would um you know anyone coming from the midwest or from the west coast probably would have been like man they got a lot of rules um but he he really kind of kept it very loving he loved people and uh and you know a lot of us kids wanted to be like him yeah would you say he was a kind of a mentor for you i think maybe if uh if i had been a little older he would be a mentor. I think he was more like a grandfather because he was a lot mm. older than I was. Um, but he was more like, I mean, I guess it depends on your definition of mentor, but so, yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. Sure. Well, and an example anyway, that, that maybe y- you and some of the other kids in the church seem to look up to. Yes. Definitely an example to follow. And yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you grew up in this environment and at some point in there, you probably gave your life to Christ on your own and decided to go to Bible college. What, what was up with all that? Tell me those stories. So uh, I was actually four when I um, okay. decided that Jesus was the way I wanted to go. And it's sort of funny because my, my mom told my grandfather and he, you know, sort of chuckled and said, I don't think she's old enough to understand that. And so the next time we were together, he, and I don't actually remember this. This is just the story that they have told me over the years. Um, he took me off for a conversation and came back and he said, you know, I wouldn't have believed it, but she obviously understands it. Um, <laughs> and I never looked back. And my grandfather was another person, you know, again, not perfect, but just a great example of someone who loved people. He could talk to anybody. You walk into a diner and he'd, he'd strike up a conversation with somebody about Jesus. And, um, and I think some of that came from uh, he found Jesus when he was a little bit older and and knew mm. what a difference knowing Jesus can make. And so he was very committed to that and encouraged that in all of all of his kids and grandkids. Um, yeah. I love yeah. that. So why'd you go to Bible college? What was what were you hoping to do? So um, as a kid, I loved to read biographies and uh, two that that hit me pretty hard were Jim Elliott and anything Elizabeth Elliott wrote. And, uh, and then um, George Mueller oh, yeah. uh, was the other and two greats. And so, yeah, just amazing, um, amazing people. And so I wanted to make a difference in the world from, from early on. And I read George Mueller's biography when I was eight and decided that I would adopt. So when I grew up, no matter what happened, I was going to adopt a kid. Um, and then, you know, reading Jim Elliott's um, journals and and biography and, and everything that Elizabeth wrote um, influenced me to want to go to be a missionary. And so that was my original intent uh, when I started Bible college. I started out in the elementary education department. I was going to be a teacher and I was, you know, heading off into the wild blue yonder or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in his infinite wisdom, the guy who ran the education group that I was under, um, I don't really know what his, his actual job was, but he decided, I don't, I don't remember if he was a professor or like over the program. I can't remember who he was even. Um, but this guy sent us into the public school system and assigned us to classrooms and we had to stay for six weeks and help you know, it was basically a volunteer position to kind of get to understand what teaching was like. Well, he put me into a kindergarten class and probably that seemed like a great fit because it was, you know, energetic and bouncy and, and I liked little kids. Um, but after that, I switched my major. <laughs> because wow. I was like, I cannot see sitting in a kindergarten classroom for the rest of my life. I would pull my hair out. And, um, and it's sort of funny because when I was in grad school, I, uh, I substitute taught 
at the school across the street from where I was attending and ended up doing pretty long-term subbing for the science teacher and a couple other teachers in the middle school and loved it. So if he had put me in with a middle school class, I probably would be a teacher today, um, but just did not connect with four-year-olds and five-year-olds. Um, I like it's them on, tough. one-on-one is great, but not a room full of them. Oh yeah. That's yeah. yes. So I then can relate to that. Okay. I decided to switch to counseling because that's better. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different level of crazy. Yeah, it really was. And um, it's sort of funny because they, there's a joke um, among many of us who have either been in the counseling uh, education. I don't want to say the field because I didn't end up going into it, but um, those of us who are familiar with the counseling situation that um, most counselors go into it because they're either trying to fix themselves or someone else. Um, <laughs> I would say that's, true, that's very true. Um, so, and I mean, I wasn't alone. Um, I was probably one of them trying to figure myself out too. So, uh, so anyway, went through, graduated with a counseling undergrad. And then my intent was to get a master's degree in counseling um, at uh, Capital Bible Seminary. And it was a new degree that they were um, offering. And then I don't remember what happened exactly, but um, maybe someone who was running the department got sick or couldn't come, but they ended up postponing it for a year. And so I went ahead with my first year there and just did all the, you know, basic Bible classes and, and planned to, to do all the counseling stuff in my second year. And, um, and then it just kind of became clear, like, this is not what I'm supposed to do. I don't, I am not able to sit and listen to someone else's problems and then go home and turn it off. Mm. Um, it would, I would end up just going nuts so um yeah too much empathy decide yeah truly i mean because i can imagine and maybe that's why i love to write um i can imagine what people are going through so vividly that i mean i can be in tears just thinking about someone else's someone i don't know you know i read a story about something and and something that happened to this child and, you know, I can be in a puddle on the floor in minutes. So it became clear to me after talking to some of the staff that were going to be running the counseling program that it probably wasn't the best fit. And so I just, um, I just decided to go ahead and finish with the master's degree in English Bible. And, um, and then when I left uh, school, it was kind of cool because the jobs that I got after that specifically hired me because I had the counseling underground, uh, excuse me, the counseling undergrad and the English Bible title in my degree, even though it had nothing to do, I was being hired to be a recruiter. And yeah. And so it was just really funny because it was almost, I mean, obviously God knew exactly what I would need. And, um, I loved the job and everything. Um, so kind of going back, my initial goal was to go, um, you know, be a missionary. And then as life happened, it just became evident that wasn't where I was supposed to be. Um, and I was kind of angry about it for a while because Mm. all my life, you know, God, I think pushes us to do certain things because he needs us in a certain spot. And if he had said, you know, Hey, I need you to be a recruiter when you grow up or whatever. Um, I probably would have thought, eh, that doesn't sound like that's too much fun, you know? Um, or even, you know, we do it with our own kids. We're like, Hey, I need you to learn this math here so that we can do this other thing that you're going to need math for, like buying your first car, you know, there are things down the road that you're going to need to learn these specific items so that you could do the cool stuff down the road. Well, you might think you're going to need it for something, you know, that you think you're going to need it for thing A, but really you need it for thing B. Thank you for saying that, that you felt a little bit angry at God. Like, okay, you were, you're leading, felt like you were leading me in this direction, but it went up in a whole different direction. So yeah. What's up with that? How did you process that with God and how, how, how'd you get through that? 
I I didn't handle it well, honestly, initially. Um, no, that's okay. I was pretty upset about it, and 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 you know, it felt like a bait and switch. It's like, well, why would you put me through all this stuff that seemed very and give me these strong desires that seem very focused when I'm not doing that stuff? And and I kind of got caught in this mentality of I'm not living up to whatever God wanted me to do. I'm not reaching the goals that I feel like I should be reaching. And um, actually Patrick was, was really instrumental in helping me change my mindset about that because he was like, look, you know, if God puts you in a place you're, and you're doing the thing that he wants you to do that day, then how can you be out of his will? And um, you know, that was almost 20 years ago. And and I still remember the impact of that because it it really was just so difficult for me to wrap my mind around, you know, how can I be doing God's will if I'm living back in my hometown, I'm just doing a job and I don't feel like I'm really doing anything for God. Um, and looking back, it's amazing because, and I'm sure probably the same for you, you look back over your life. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can see exactly why he had me do X, Y, and Z because I was going to need that. And I would have to have those skills later. And, and even the counseling undergrad degree for a while, I was like, man, I felt like I was so led to that, um, to that degree. And I put a lot of work into those classes and now I'm a recruiter and yeah, it got me the job, but I'm not using it. Well, you know, 10 years down the line, when we had a five and seven year old show up at our house and they became our instant kids, a lot of that came into play. So, yeah. you know, he, he, he uses so many things. Um, and actually, um, in 2005, I was really sick and they couldn't figure it out and finally uh, diagnosed me with lupus. And so if I had followed the path that I thought he had wanted me to follow, if I'd fought to do the things that I thought God wanted me to do, it's very likely I would be really sick or possibly even dead because they wouldn't have had the medical knowledge. I mean, it took doctors in America who supposedly have the best, you know, training around or whatever, took them years to figure out what was going on. And why am I in pain? Why can't I stay awake? Why can't I do, you know, this or that? And a big part of it was being in the sun. The UV rays um, really cause flare-ups. And so I wasn't wearing sunblock because I liked to be tan. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I was basically killing myself and, and had no idea. And if I had been in some South American country, it would have been, you know, multiplied. So it's just, God knows exactly what he's doing. Mm. every step of the way, even when we are kicking and screaming and why are you dragging me down this path? I was pretty sure we were going down the right and now we're going left. What's up? Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I also want to make a point because I think you, your story highlights this very well because um, your husband was really wise there, right? Yeah. Like that's the, I don't know if it's this way anymore, but when I, when I was kids, I think we're about the same age. It was like that if you really wanted to live for Jesus, you would be a missionary or a pastor yes. or in some sort of full-time ministry, right? Right. And uh, that's hogwash, <laughs> right? Like I, I mean, agree. But it, but it was kind of damaging. It could be damaging. I, I went kind of through kind of a, I don't know if it's the same, same at all, but definitely similar period where I got a seminary, I got a master of divinity and I ended up working in finance and I was not happy about that. Right. Like that's not where I wanted to be. That's not what I would, thought I was going to do, but God has his way, right. Of, of kind of leading us is what you're yeah. saying. So, um, yeah, you, even if you end up living in your hometown, you can <laughs> yeah. homeschooling your kids, you can, God, God may be doing something else. Right. Yeah. And, and what you said, um, I think that's a really good point. And I think that anyone who has kids right now should really definitely pay attention to what influences are being poured into their kids. Because although the people who encouraged me to go into Christian work had the best intentions, it was, like you said, it was very clear that if you want to live for Jesus, 
if you want to make a difference for Jesus, you have to be in ministry in some capacity. And so by default, if you're not in ministry, then the feeling is, oh, I must not be living for Jesus. I must not be doing what God wants me to do. And, and truly that really probably was what caused a lot of my anger because I had so many, again, well-meaning people, um, you know, pushing me toward, yes, you should do that. It's so great that you have this heart for Jesus and, you know, all that, but it wasn't what Jesus wanted, you know? (laughs) And, and so, um, so that can be a little frustrating because especially when it's coming from people you really respect, um, and that you see have a, a really, uh, close relationship with Jesus and, you know, the influence that other people can have on kids and teens and even young college kids is immense. And so we need to think clearly and carefully about what messages we are giving our kids. I mean, we, we talk to our daughter now and like, Hey, whatever you want to do is fine. Um, as long as you are doing it well, and you are putting, you know, you're putting your best effort in and you're working hard and you're, you're happy, find a way to do that for Jesus. And, right. you know, and really that's where it's at. I mean, he gives us talents and, and desires for a reason. Yeah. hundred percent. That's, that's great. Okay. So I had thought this thought about beliefs, right? Cause that what happened is we were given a belief that there's something special about doing those particular works, Mm -hmm. you know, and then that kind of had to come up against reality (laughs) at some point. Right. But our beliefs direct where we go. And I I know a lot of times as Christians, we think about our theological beliefs, Mm -hmm. right. More and how important they are, but also our, there's other beliefs that we can adopt and, and take on that, don't have anything to do with actually what's God's revealed or what what he wants for us. So be careful of those friends, like be, be really careful. And if you're ever stuck, that's one of the best questions you can ask yourself is what am I believing right now mm. that uh, maybe, maybe uh, I shouldn't. Okay. Well, so that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. I, that's, that's a fascinating aspect of, of our spirituality. So what happened? Did you just decide like, okay, I guess I'm good here or what, how'd that, I think when the lupus diagnosis came down was Mm. really the moment that I could see clearly, okay, God has a plan, but I'm misinterpreting what's going on. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of like we do it with humans too. You know, we think somebody wants something, so we do it for them. And then it turns out they're like, man, why did you, I don't (laughs) understand why you did that. You know, (laughs) well, you said you really like chicken soup, so I made you some, like, yeah. well, no, I, I like it when I have the flu, you know? <laughs> so, right, right. Um, so I think, and maybe that's a bad example. I can't think of a better one right at the moment, but it works. Um, you know, it's, it was really eye-opening, you know, because at that point in my life, I could not stay awake. Um, we went to a car show, Patrick and I really enjoy, um, anti-car shows. And, and so we went to one in particular right around that time. And I got two hours in and I said, you know what, I'm going to go back to the car and lie down for a few minutes. Cause I just feel kind of tired. And I slept for hours and just didn't wake up. And then, um, another time I came home from work and I was too exhausted to get out of the car and get myself into the house. So I just like put my car seat back and went to sleep and Patrick had to work late that night and he came home maybe one in the morning and couldn't find me. And, you know, of course, freaked out. We were newly married and, uh, well, you know, first five years and, uh, say, where's my wife? Her car's in the driveway. She's gone, you know, and finally he found me in the car and again, just fell asleep. I mean, I probably got home around six and didn't wake up and it's one in the morning. He's banging on my window. Um, so something was obviously wrong. And when, when they finally diagnosed it, it was, it was kind of a wake up, you know, Hey, yes, God has a plan, but 
the things that you wanted to do are not it because if you were out there doing the things you thought you were supposed to be doing you would be super sick or maybe dead um yeah did that change your trust in god at all it did um it was it was i don't know he and i have always had i think a unique relationship and maybe it's not maybe it's just i think it is but you know as a little kid, I mean, I remember having conversations, running conversations in my head with him. And um, somebody recently was talking about, I think it was Billy Graham. And they asked like something about prayer. And he said, well, I'm praying now. Like I I talk to God, even as I'm talking to you, I can talk to him. And the person who had told the story, um, you know, seemed like, oh, wow, that's, that's different, you know? And for, for me, I was like, well, doesn't everyone like, (laughs) you know, it's just, that's just how, and maybe it's because I talk too much. I don't know. Um, but (laughs) well, look, we're all different, right? right. We all have our, we all have our things. And so, uh, what, what I hear in that is that actually God meets you, meets us however we, however we are. Right. So, you know, if you're a talker, then he will have a conversation with you and he's really good at that. Yeah. Um, it sounds like that's been part of your experience for a long time. Is there, is there any moment where you remember having that conversation with God that was really like poignant or like kind of changed you or shaped you in a different way? I think, um, and just kind of, again, going back to the diagnosis, like I had been talking to him all my life, but it was almost, I mean, I didn't hear a voice or anything like that, but it was kind of like that nudge, like, Hey, if you will shut up, and let me talk back, (laughs) you know, like, just give me a minute to put a word in edgewise, and I can guide you a little better. Um, So, um, so did you do that? Like, do you do you have a a regular practice of communicating back and forth? Um, It's okay if you don't, but well, I mean, I still talk to him all the time, but I try to spend time paying attention Mm -hmm. to the response. And I, and again, like, I'm not saying that God, you know, speaks audibly to me or anything, but Um, but there are a lot of times when, you know, especially in crisis, when I'm like, I don't know what to do. Can you please show me? And, you know, very clearly through sometimes through someone else, something someone says, or something that pops up on my phone or something that, you know, there's hundreds of ways. There are hundreds of ways that he can communicate with us, probably thousands. Um, and, and I feel like I always get an answer when I take the time to listen, um, yeah, you know, the times that I feel like God's not giving me what I need is almost always my fault, <laughs> you know, like, well, it is always my fault, but I mean, um, well, yeah. So there, there can know. be times when God is quiet, right. right? And yeah. you, and you want him to lead or direct. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to wait. Right. And that's annoying. But it he is. does that. He does that. Yeah. And um, I guess that's what I mean by almost always. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, right. sometimes it's not because I don't shut up. Sometimes I shut up and he just doesn't answer. But that's also because he has a reason. Yeah. And you're, and you're, so what I'm hearing you say is that you've learned to kind of pay attention and, and listen a little bit more f- to, to where God might be directing you, even if it's outside mm-hmm. of, you know, more whatever traditional, traditional ways. Yeah. Well, and honestly, um, one of the biggest ways that I feel like he does speak, um, I have the Bible on audio in several different versions. And so often if I'm gardening or walking or doing laundry or whatever, I like to listen to a book in general. Um, and I made a rule for myself that I have to turn on the audio Bible first and, um, sort of like working out, you know, you don't really want to do it, even though it's good for you. Um, so I have this super interesting thriller that I really want to read, but I'm like, nope, I got to listen for 10 minutes. But the cool thing is every time I will say that every time I do that, um, I end up listening for longer than, than 10 minutes because there's always something that I need to hear. And, you know, the Bible was God's original way to communicate with us and he still does it. And, and the times you know, after my sister died, I had a hard time focusing on anything. Like I didn't want to listen mm. to books. I didn't want to listen to my Bible. I didn't want to listen to anything. I could barely watch TV. It's like, it just, my mind was, was like teddy bear fluff. 
Um, and so getting back into that habit has been important in the last couple of months because I went for several, well, she passed in, in September. So really it's, it's just been in January when I started getting myself mm. sort of back together. Um, and I had to force myself to start listening to the Bible again, because I don't know, like, I don't want to be like, I'm mad at God, but I kind of am. But I also know that he has a plan. Like at this point in my life, I know that God's big enough to take it if I'm mad. Um, and I think that I let it go a little too long, honestly. Mm. Um, so I've, I've been trying to spend more time intentionally listening to him in the last month because I felt it really affecting me um, toward the end of the year. I just felt like I was floating out in the middle of the ocean with nothing. Um, and so, um, and I know that your family has, you know, experienced some of that loss as well. Um, yeah. I feel like for us, the last couple of years have been a study in grief, um, which is not what anybody wants, right? <laughs> like yeah, not, no. not, not a good time. Um, and it, it kind of started when my, our kid, there was a shooting at our kid's school. And that was kind of mm. the first time I had experienced something that I was like, I've had family members die before, but nothing like that, you know, like, um, and my kids were fine. Right. But it was just like the mm. idea that things get shattered. Right. So, right. uh, so that was a season, but then this last season has been kind of also there. And I just, I think it is just like that. And I think as a society, we don't really talk about it. And even as, as Christians, I'm American evangelical Christians anyway, um, we don't have a good framework for grief, right. Or for, you know, we're a little too much. Um, and I'm, I'm being a little critical, but I'll, I'll come back. I promise that uh, we're a little, we're a little too much in if we're, it's not really prosperity gospel, but we like to have this idea that if life is good, then God is blessing us. And right. that's true. But if life is bad, he is still present, right? And we yeah. experience him in other ways and we need to recapture lament. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to my episode with Doug Grotheis, who wrote a book called Walking Through Twilight. Mm. Uh, he's lost his wife. She's had a degenerative disease and, and eventually died. And he wrote this book about kind of even the small things that brought him joy, like his dog, right? Which is, which is really great. Um, but just kind of going through that. And I, the reason I had featured him uh, was because we don't do that enough. Right? We don't, we don't have a good framework, but go back to what you're saying about the Bible. It's all over, right? Read, read the Psalms, read it like everywhere. Even the, even the one that doesn't end well, right? It's right. like, Okay, there's there's grief, and God knows how to answer us in it. Habakkuk, mm -hmm. I go back to Habakkuk all the time. Nobody reads it, but we should read it because he shows up and he complains at God, and he says, "I don't like it." Yeah. And God says, "That's okay. I'm going to take care of it." And he's like, well, "I don't like that either." And God says, <laughs> "That's okay. I'm, don't worry. I'm going to take care of that too." Right. And it ends with this this beautiful poem of worship that is the we kind of know little references to, but man is really great. So all that, like, I, I appreciate you sharing, you know, some of that and, and the grief and going, Hey, what's, you know, what's going on? It's okay. It's so friends. It's okay. It's okay to walk through grief. God is actually present there. So how, my question to you, you know, it sounds like you've been kind of, um, I'm going to say taking ownership, right? Saying, okay, I'm, I got to, I got to make sure that I'm connected. I'm, I'm doing the things I need to do to God, but have you experienced anything with God in particular that in that season? It's not, if not, it's okay, but I'm just curious what you're actually going through. Yeah. No. Um, so I think, you know, my sister was the biggest for me personally, but, um, right before my sister died, um, my cousin's wife, who everyone loved. I mean, she was the mm. kind of person that if you said something positive about her, like nobody was making it up. And, and she, um, she had a pretty drawn out uh, battle with cancer and 
so at her funeral, um, it was just, this was before my sister passed. Um, I remember thinking, I hope that someday people can talk about me the way they talk about Cass, because I mean, they all said amazing things about her and every single one was true. Um, and that was, you know, it was, it was heartbreaking, but it was sort of eye-opening because we were about the same age and that was the first time you know you know anything can happen but when someone who's close and you know close in age to you and then a family member passes it it becomes a lot more real um and then um not long after that you know my sister went down and it was it was immediate um she had a brain bleed and they said mm. that there was nothing that could have been done um, and there was no warning. And so, um, so that was just really tough. Um, she had just moved to Brooklyn to teach and, uh, she did go into teaching. She taught music yeah. and, uh, super talented and, um, you know, just looking back through that, I see now how many ways, even in the terrible situation, God took care of it because she was among friends and people who, could help and you know contact us and you know she lived alone and you know if it had happened at a different time or in a different place we might not have known right away and Mm -hmm. um you know i think about that kind of a scenario and how in the current situation we know that everything that possibly could have been done was done immediately and that gives us a little bit of you know comfort um and then a week later, not even a week, um, my husband um, has a, a group of friends that I just call them all his best friends because they they all would do anything for each other. And uh, and his his buddy went to the hospital and didn't come out. And so mm. um, so it was three kind of back to back and and very traumatic and all about our age. And well, my sister was younger. Um, that's so much, by the way. I just got to acknowledge that because, like, man, I, I'm there with you. Like, we we lost so many family members just in the last few four months, mm-hmm. um, and it's awful. But yeah. I want to know, like, for you, uh, where, like, where do you sense, like, God and all that? Like, where is that? I can tell you where the healing began was actually. Um, I don't know if you know Deb Hackett, but she has. Uh, a website and has several of us write for her and it was my turn and I honestly didn't feel up to writing it I didn't Mm. I fought (laughs) the whole time I was writing it was it was the toughest piece I've ever written but um, it was and I can give you the link if you if you want that but um, talking about how bereft just truly bereft um, I felt and 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 the fact that God's presence was bigger and writing that was I think the point where I started to heal a little bit um, because I realized it was true like before writing it all I felt was bereft I did not feel presence and and then as I was writing it I realized you know even when we don't feel him you know he's still there and never leaves and he feels those feelings um you know i think about the reason i didn't become a counselor was i do feel other people's feelings and i can't imagine how it must be for him to feel all of our feelings wow um yeah which is kind of one of the interesting things about jesus being human being right is is that he actually Uh, I don't think we spend enough time on this. He actually experienced, right? Human emotions. He experienced, right. The best example is when he goes to Lazarus, right? And okay. He raises Lazarus, but he didn't do it right away. And he experienced grief and he was, he was upset. Like, wow. For him to, to go through that. Every kid's favorite Bible verse. (laughs) Right. That's right. Uh, Which, where is it? John 11, 35 is 11. Yeah. Yeah. I think right, so. There we go. I think it's 1135. Awana has Jesus served us wept. well. That's good. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know, right? Yeah, Moana is the best. Um, but yeah, and 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 truly, when you read the story, like he's not, he's not grieving because because Lazarus is dead, and I think that's what really hit me. It was probably a year ago. I, I feel like he's been kind of mm. prepping me um, for some of this in things that I've just kind of had pop up. Like I said, things pop up for me to read and they end up being the thing that I need. Um, but I was, I think I was listening to that story and it kind of hit me like he's not upset that Lazarus is dead because he knows he can raise him, but he's experiencing the deep grief of these people and he's just so brokenhearted yeah. that they are so brokenhearted and, you know, he cares so much. And, you know, we, we kind of get a little flip about it, I think, because we're like, well, of course Jesus cared. He died for us, you know, but I don't think we understand. I, I think that is so multi-layered for Jesus probably uh, because yeah, absolutely. He's grieving for the people. I think he's grieving that death is even a thing. You know what I mean? Like, and right. I think yeah, he also absolutely. knows that he's got to go through that to solve it, right? And I think I think there's a, I don't think he wanted to do that. <laughs> I think we we get that impression. Yeah. So no. I I think it's like yeah. this really multi layered weeping that he that he goes through, and I think there's a lesson for that in us, right? Like there's there's some comfort in as we go through these things that like good grief, this year, last year or so has been hard. And uh, get it, the whole world's going through it. We're not, you know, there a lot of people are losing a lot of lot of yeah. lot of people. Um, but Jesus is yeah. there. Well, not to spiritual spiritualize like what I've gone through, but honestly, I lived in a bubble wow. up until this year. Um, up until September. I mean, you know, we lost grandparents and people that I don't want to say it wasn't a big deal because it was, but it was not right. unexpected. Um, you know, when your grandfather is 97, there's that possibility. Like, I mean, from the time he turned 90, every phone call I got, because he truly was my heart. Um, you know, so like if, if somebody from my family called at a weird time, that was my first thought was something happened to grandpa, you know? Um, so I was emotionally preparing for that for a long time, even though it was devastating. Um, and yeah. these, there was no there was no preparation and they were young and um, you know, so one of the things that has come out of all of this, and again, not to make it sound like, I don't know, I feel like people take stuff and they're like, well, I'm glad I went through this because now I can understand other people. And that's not what I'm saying. Um, but it has been, I don't even know what the word is. Um, just being able to, to have other people, understand mm. me on that level and then also i can understand them and and actually I, I was talking to my aunt about this a little bit um i sort of look back and feel bad because there are people who lost people and i feel like i i didn't know enough to be there for them in the way that i would be for their i would be there for them now you know um but you don't know what you don't know and you can't understand it until you experience it and so as much as I hate to have gone through the experience, it's helped bring me closer yeah. to certain people. Um, and, and you know, given us both the ability to be a help to each other. Um, another friend of mine lost her sister and, you know, she made a comment about, um, you know, well, mine was expected and she lived her life. And that doesn't matter really, you know, loss is loss. And when you lose a sibling, it's devastating. And it's like, you've lost your leg yeah. uh, or your arm, you know, you just, you don't know what to do with it. And, um, and I think that's one of the biggest lessons out of all of this is like, for me has been loss is loss mm -hmm. and nobody's loss is bigger and nobody's loss is smaller. And if somebody's grieving, we need to come around them, hold them up, pray for them, you know, be there for them as much as we can. Um, yeah. And that's where community comes in. Right. Which I think is, is really fascinating uh, as an aspect as well. That's one thing, you know, we are, our community loved us really well. I hope yours did. I don't, I don't know, but uh, it yeah. really does matter. Right. It does. 
it does matter who you have around you and and how you walk through all that. Um, Becky, I don't want to take too sharp of a turn here, but because I, I, I really appreciate you sharing some of those things. I have the sense that we're not alone and that that there's a lot of people out there listening right now that that are glad to have somebody say, hey, this this sucks, but God's still there, right? Um, but I do yeah. want to talk about your group. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do it uh, <laughs> because I, I love what you're doing there too. You, you mentioned it earlier, like you've got this uh, group that you started for writers. And so I want you to tell us about kind of what you, like how that came about and what you're working to do there. Yeah. Well, and honestly, it's not really that sharp of a turn because um, in all of this, the 540 community has has gotten me through it in ways that I never expected because it's, I don't want to say it's the only thing, but it's one of the biggest things that still continued to bring me some joy in a time mm. that was so, so dark. Um, and that wasn't something that I expected. I'm not that they aren't wonderful people. It just, I didn't expect what, my response. Was that because to be so deep. I mean, you're used to um, feeding into them and then that like that, the community came back or what was, what was it? I think it was a little bit of everything. It gave me motivation because I needed, I needed to be there. Um, now there were a number of people who stepped up um, when my cousin and my sister and then our friend passed away to help with getting the email out to everybody and um, running the sessions. And um, there were a couple of speakers who very graciously agreed to reschedule because my most favorite thing is to have them come in and then sit there and listen. And, um, and so, you know, we, we basically ran kind of community nights or write-ins most of the time that I couldn't be there. Um, and I appreciated everyone's, you know, willingness to do that because they could have said, Oh, well, what you're not here. So we don't, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I just, they were great. And, um, and then, you know, in the times where I didn't really feel motivated to do anything or get out of bed, you know, I, I just, Patrick is great in a lot of ways. And one of them is, is he knows where my lines are. And so when I needed some time, he definitely gave it to me, but when it was time to move, you know, he was like, look, it's fine. If you need this, you tell me, but I think that you need to like, get back into doing the stuff that you normally do that makes you happy and and particularly pushed me to get more active with 540 faster than I probably would have um and and it was hmm. exactly right um because it gave me the motivation we have three write-ins um we have a write-in on Monday night and one on Tuesday morning and one on Wednesday morning and those morning write-ins were particularly difficult what, what does that mean what do you do um, when you do a write-in and the write-in is we all get together and we we write. And the reason that's super helpful for me personally is I don't get distracted because I know that there are other people. Um, you can leave your video on or off. I tend to leave mine on because I know that people will see me get up and leave. And so I'm motivated to stay in my seat um, that way. But uh, it, it really helps. And uh, the 540 grew from a comment that someone made at another writing conference uh, a couple of years ago. And she said, if you write 540 words per day in under six months, you will have a 100,000 word manuscript first draft. Wow. And so she's like, so if you have been trying to write your first draft for years, just start working, just make a goal of 540 words per day. And I thought, oh, surely someone has like done something with this. And I started looking and there wasn't anything out there. The 540 is designed to encourage, educate, and equip writers to deliver the message that God has given them for the one reader who needs to hear it most. And, there you go. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's truly my heart. And, and, you know, going back to that whole kind of thread of the path God has, has led you on, when I was really little, um, we had a record player and my favorite record had this song on it called make it clear. And 
it said, make it clear, make it plain, make it easy to be understood. And it was talking about, you know, giving the gospel in ways people can truly understand it and respond. And I loved that song and, and it has stuck with me for, you know, over 40 years. Um, that's, that's my heart is, you know, we can have a story and we can have a message, but if we can't communicate it in a way that people can understand it, then it's not going to get where it needs to go. And, um, you know, this is not completely related, but sort of like, if you think about the five love languages, if you're familiar with that book, um, that made a huge difference in our marriage because my, <laughs> shockingly, my love language is words of affirmation. Who knew? Words. Why? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, and yes, I get and Patrick's that. a service. So he would clean my car. He would make sure the oil was changed. He would, he would do <clears throat> all these things for me. And, and I would be like, oh, that's sweet. That's nice. But it wasn't like, I feel this deep sense of being loved and adored, but that's what he meant by it. And then I would leave right. him all these notes, like constantly with like pages of notes day in and day out. And again, from me, that was like <laughs> my heart on paper. And for him, you know, it was like, oh, that's sweet. She left me another note. Wow. And another one and a third <laughs> one in the car. Like, you know, um, if we can't use the person's love language, they're not going to understand it. And, and it's kind of, um, you know, even talking about it in the sense of the love language, sometimes people don't understand it, but it's more like, okay, so if I say how I feel about someone in Chinese and they answer me in Bulgarian, we could be saying the most amazing things, but yeah, if yeah. the other person doesn't understand the language, it doesn't matter because it's just sound. And that Bible verse, you know, that says, if we don't make it clear, we're basically just like a trumpet that's just making a lot of noise. And, um, yeah. And so that's the goal of 540 is every writer out there has a message, but can they communicate it in a way that the reader who needs to hear it most will be able to receive it? That's the yeah. Goal. So, and one other thing that I know that's is a feature is that because you started to get this earlier, like because it's so expensive to go to the, some of those other things, you're doing this for yes. free. Yep. Right. Because you want uh, to serve writers in yeah. that way. Yeah. It's free. It always will be. And that's, um, it's funny because early on, I had a, a couple different people were like, yeah, you're just building your platform. And, and I said, you know, I understand the way it looks because everybody says my thing is free until you get to the point when it's not. Um, and that's okay. Like if, if you're planning to use it to have a living that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but that is my goal is, is to make sure that, that finance and location never stand in anyone's way. And that's why we are hundred percent online. And that's why we are hundred percent free. Um, you know, and, and I've had a number of people say, Hey, you have to charge something because people won't appreciate it. And I don't think that's true. Um, I think that the people mm. who need it will appreciate it. And, and if they don't appreciate it, they can go find a paid subscription somewhere else, you know? So. <laughs> right. Yeah. If they need that, that's fine. That's what they want. I love it. Okay. So Becky, where can people find it? It's uh 540club.org, yes. right? 540club.org. Perfect. Okay. Uh, I love that. Becky, thanks for sharing some of your story with us. I really do appreciate it. I'd love your heart for others and to spread the message and just to see where God has kind of led you over the, over all the, the years. That's really been fun. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with? I think there are a lot of people out there who don't realize that they are writers and that they have something to say, um, or they think they, can't say what they have to say because they don't have the skills. And so, um, you know, if, if you fall into that category of, well, I, I would like to, but I don't think anyone's going to listen to me or, um, I would like to, but I don't have the skills or I don't really think I have anything to say. Um, all three of those are false. Um, uh, well, you might not yet have the skills, but you can, change that yourself. Um, you know, self-learning is self-education, 
you know, working to improve what you know, all of those things will make a big difference um, in your ability to reach the person who needs you. So it's, I, I really feel like the enemy uses our, I don't want to say self-esteem, but the enemy uses our lack of confidence to keep us from doing what we need to do. And we hear a lot um, these days about like the imposter syndrome and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. it's sort of funny because the first time I heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, now I know what that's called. Um, because right. as a recruiter, I was always waiting for the day when they would figure out I was just flying about the skin of my pants. And, uh, and so um, I think that a lot of creatives do experience that. And, and even without the label, you know, it's just one more way for the enemy to, to keep us from doing the thing we're supposed to do. Um, yeah. So if you, you know, if you feel like your skills aren't good enough, find a group like the 540 um, and start working on it because there's so much to learn. And honestly, even if you think that you have it all together, you probably need a group like the 540 even more because nobody has it all together. <laughs> so. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I agree. If you're creative and there's anything holding you back, if you're a writer and you're not a writer, you need this group. Um, or if you're a writer and you're not writing, yeah. right. That's if you have something, if you have a, if you have a dream, I've got a novel back there somewhere in my head. That Eric, I need to you get need out, to right? show up. There you go. Right. <laughs> you got to show up and do it. Just do it. Just start, start getting it done. Uh, and you won't regret yeah. it. You won't regret sure. it, right? And you never know what doors got to open with it. So I tell my podcasters that all the time, right? Or if you're want, wanting to start a show and people, all the same, uh, all the same excuses, we'll right. say. But yes. show up, find your voice. Same thing happens in writing and you won't be sorry. So it's a huge part of development, both spiritual and human. Yeah, I guess. no, it's true. <laughs> and actually, I wanted to make one other quick thing clear. Um, initially, we started out trying to write 540 words per day, but that is no longer the case. The The goal is to write something, um, you know, okay. as often as you can, because not everyone has time or ability or, you know, I mean, we all have a, we all have something pressing on us. And so sure. um, it's also meant to be a low, uh, low pressure environment, always encouraging. And if you get it done, that's fabulous. If you feel like you failed, you didn't fail if you tried and you did something towards your goal. You know, failing is not trying. Yeah. Um, you know, I will give you that. That's but. right. 100%. I totally agree. Becky, thanks for being here. I appreciate hey, it. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me.